I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to Matthew's Gospel, first book in what is known as the New Testament, Matthew 5. If you use one of the Bibles provided for you, page 809, Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount, as we said earlier, is a description of a disciple of Christ. So, if you are here today, as I said, and wondering what it means to be a disciple of Christ, it's good that you join us for this sermon series. If you think you have been a disciple of Jesus for some time now and got it all down pat, stick with me, because there's a lot of surprises in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, last week, we defined blessed as finding God's approval. Remember this guy? I showed you this picture here of a father holding his young child and the smile that he has on his face. That that really what Jesus is getting at here when it says in Matthew 5, verse 2, he says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 4, our text for today, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This idea of blessed has the idea of uh, that person, like I just showed you, this guy having this, 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 this smile and approving uh, look on his face over his child. And this captures the joy of what a father has for his son. And this is what Jesus meant. Now, last week we, we talked about poor in spirit and we defined it as understanding our, our spiritual bankruptcy. And we defined it as, as beggars, that we're like beggars who are unable to bridge the gap between us and God that was caused by sin. Sin causes a great gap, a great gulf between us and God. And we can't, get, we can't bridge that gap. There's nothing that we can do to, 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 to cross over and to, to close that gap down. And we need to understand that. And that's what Jesus was getting in here when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the ones who understand that they're spiritually bankrupt. For theirs is the kingdom of God. And remember that this whole, this whole section here, it's, it starts in verse 3, and, and then it, 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 it ends in verse 10 of this idea of the Beatitudes there, or the pronouncement of blessing and it says for theirs is the kingdom of heaven twice and it's kind of like a a a bookends if you will you got the start and you got the end and and all those verses in between there what jesus is saying is says those who are citizens of the kingdom those who are citizens of my kingdom those who are my people those who are part of my family this is what they look like this is who they are blessed are those who mourn there now, to understand what Jesus meant by mourning, we need to remember that verse 4 is connected to verse 3 that we just read. And it's also connected to an entire sermon of the next three chapters. And this entire sermon is about who is in God's kingdom. So with that in mind, we need to look at this curious verse here this morning. And, and I say curious because when it says, blessed are those who mourn, now we, we, this seems so odd to us. I mean, because we normally seek after happiness, do we not? I, we normally try to avoid mourning and try to avoid, uh, uh, you know, any type of negative feeling or what we would say a negative feeling is. We, we seek happiness and joy and laughter and smiles. So the idea of being blessed 
for mourning actually seems kind of seems kind of confusing or curious. It's 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 like a paradox. Author G.K. Chesterton defined a paradox as truth standing on its head to get your attention. And it's true. This is what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's saying these things that when you look at it, it's like, what, are you, what are you talking about there? What do you mean by that? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This brings up lots of questions. But remember, this is all about who is in the kingdom. Are you a child of God's? Is another way we can answer this. Are you a true disciple of Christ? Is another way to answer this or ask this question. Are you really in God's family? This is what this text is all about. And it's so crucial that we understand it. And so let's work through this this morning. Uh, two main points. The first one is this, that God's kingdom is comprised of mourners. Not mopers. But mourners, God's kingdom is comprised of mourners. Obviously, it's, it's very obvious from the text there. We've already set up most of those who mourn. He's talking about who is in the kingdom there. But what does he mean by this? What, what, what are we to mourn? What, what is he talking about here? Is he talking about people that, that, you know, Christians, they just need to have long faces and, and be ticked off all the time at the world and everything like that? Now, by the look at some Christians, you would think so, but that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what he's saying at all. But he is saying we need to mourn. What are we to mourn? First of all, we're to mourn our sinful world. You see, this is a very spiritual passage here. What he's saying is that in a spiritual note, just like he says here, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, the idea of their spiritual realm, he says those who are mourned, there needs to be a spiritual mourning here. Now why is this? I think it's the idea of we need to mourn the world that we live in. Why? Well, I think if we can meditate on this just for a few minutes here this morning, it's because one reason is because God deserves better. Have you ever stopped to think about what is it that God deserves? What is it that He actually deserves? And I think one of the reasons why we are to mourn the world that we live in, we need to mourn sin, is because God deserves better. You see, God created this world. And it was good. He spoke the world into existence. We read about this in the first part of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. We see that God, in this one week of creation, and, and He goes through and He, and he, and he speaks this world into existence, and, and, it, and it's good time and time again. He says He creates something, and He says, and behold, it was good. He creates something, and behold, it was very good. And then, and then on the seventh day, God rested. Why did He rest? I mean, God doesn't get tired. He doesn't sleep. Or such. So why was, it wasn't like he had this week of, of work. And he's like, whew, I am not used to creating universes. <laughs> and I need to, I need to, I need to, you know, you know, I need to, you know, catch up on some Netflix here. You know, this, this is not at all what was going on here. Why did he rest? He rested so he could enjoy it. And so he could stop and he could say, this is good. This is good. I've created this and it is very good. This is what he did. And then so he creates Adam and Eve, and he creates the first humans there. First he creates Adam, and then, and then you know, he goes through this kind of interesting scenario where he says, well, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. I need to find someone that's going to help him and someone who's going to complete him. And, and so, so what he does is then he says, uh, I, and, and so they look at all the other creation, and none of them match up to him. And so then he, he puts Adam to sleep, and the Bible says in Genesis that he, he then takes a, a rib uh, from 
uh, uh, from Adam and uh, uh, creates uh, Eve and, and, and very good again. And then he gives them one rule. He says, look, you can eat uh, in this garden, the tree, you can eat in any fruit, any tree, whatever you want to do, you can eat of it. He says, but this is one thing, just, just one rule. Just do not do this. Don't eat from this one tree because in the day that you do it, you will surely die. Just don't do it. Because and what he was setting up there was he was setting up the idea of rebellion. And what he was saying is how bad rebellion would be because he wanted creation to follow him willingly and out of love. And so he puts this one tree there to say, okay, now out of love, out of love for me, your creator who created you good. And you look around, you see everything good. Out of love for me, don't eat of that tree. Don't do it. Because then you're going to introduce death, okay? And you're going to experience death. And, and I don't want you to experience that. I, I, I don't want this. What I want you to do is I want us to have this great fellowship here because what we have is really good and, and, and I like it. And so this is what we're doing. And so sure enough, you read the account. It doesn't take long at all. It doesn't take long at all for uh, 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 Eve to be deceived. And then she gives the fruit to her husband, who the Bible very clearly says was standing there with her. So it's not like he was off praying in his closet to God, worshiping. And then the, the woman, you know, ruins everything. You know, that's not the case at all. They're there together. She just happens to eat first, gives it to him. He eats. And all of a sudden, we cannot understand the magnitude of what happened in that moment when they ate of that fruit. Because all of the things that God has set in the place of being very good in this world was ruined. We just sang about it. If we tarry to you better, you will never come at all. And the, well, how did it describe the, the world in that song? It said, lost and ruined by the fall. You know, God deserves better. And, and, and when I look at the world around me, when I, when I see how, how the world has just followed after sin, and I see that, that how increasingly the world around me just does not want anything to do with God, I just, I, I get, I, I get upset and I say, God, you deserve better than this. You created everything and it was good. Over and over again, we see that God's creation was good. You know, much like a broken arm causes pain, and limits usefulness, the brokenness of this world because of sin causes inestimable pain and short-circuits the intended purpose of creation. You, 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 I've, thankfully, by God's uh, uh, amazing grace and mercy, I've never broken a bone in my body. I don't know how. As a kid, I fell out of a tree. I got attacked by a dog. I got hit by a car. Uh, you know, all these things. I never broke a bone in my body. I, I, so I don't know what it's like to have my arm in a cast. But I, I know most people don't recommend it. Okay? And, 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 it, and it disrupts life. Okay, and, and, and you can't use that arm the way you, you could before. Although I have seen older brothers use it as a weapon against their younger siblings. Um, so, you know, there is that. But much like a broken arm limits the usefulness of that arm. It short circuits the intended purpose of it. So sin in this world has, called, has caused brokenness. You know, in Matthew chapter 19, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 19, we get this account where, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 19, not Matthew. In Luke 19, Luke gives this account of Jesus looking over Jerusalem. 
And he comes over to Jerusalem, and, and, and what emotion, for those of you who have read the story, what emotion does, does, does Jesus have there? He says that Jesus, he's weeping over the city. He's mourning over the city. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus come to the city and the one that he created? And why would he have this intense mourning over the city? And well, the text is clear. It's because they are not following him and they are going after sin and they are and they're ignoring him. And what Jesus is doing is Jesus is saying, he's saying, I mourn this because of the effects of sin and where you're heading. It's, it's, it's pain and it's wrong and, and it's going to short circuit the intended purpose and it's going to, it's going to be painful like this broken arm. And Jesus is mourning over this city. I just wonder, as disciples of Christ, if Jesus can, can mourn over a city, why can't we mourn over our city? Why, can't, why, why don't we look around and see people ignoring God and following and, and rebelling against God and, and being hostile towards God and blaspheming God? And how come that doesn't cause us to mourn? Jesus saw that of Jerusalem and he mourned. You ever wonder why Jesus cried at Lazarus' death? There's a couple different Lazaruses in the Bible. One of them had sisters, Mary and Martha, who loved Jesus. They followed him. If you're reading John, you get a couple stories about him. But Lazarus, their brother, died. And Jesus, he knew that he was sick. He waited to go, and in the process, Lazarus dies. And Jesus gets to the tomb, and he starts crying. And it wasn't because he thought, man, if I would have gotten here earlier, it would have been better. Because Jesus knew what he was going to do. He was going to raise him from the dead. This was already in the plan. So if Jesus knew this, why would he be crying? You know, for me, if, 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 if I would have been there, if, if uh, you know, my... Uh, my, my sister-in-law calls me up and says, your brother Jason, he's really sick. And let's say I had the power to raise the dead. You know, I probably would let him die. You know, I'd let my brother die. You know, I love him, but, you know, you know, he, he treated me pretty bad growing up, so he deserves it. So, so I'd let him die. And then I'd show up there, you know, and see her crying and just kind of smirk and be like, all right. Fine, I'll bring him back to life, you know. And Jason, come on out, come on out, you know. And opens the coffin, comes on out. I wouldn't be crying because I knew what I was going to do. In fact, I'd be actually kind of trying not to smirk, trying not to laugh, trying not to say, "Hey, watch this." That's not what Jesus does in John eleven. He 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 cries. He's mourning. Why? It's because he's realizing. The effects of sin. He, he's saying, look at this. This was not the intended purpose for the people whom I love to feel death because of sin. Romans chapter 5 says, for by one man's sin, uh, death entered into the world. Later on it says. So Jesus is mourning this. He's saying that the fact that the, the effects of sin. And so when I look at Jesus, I say, look, I want to be known as a disciple of Christ. I want to be known as someone who follows Christ. I want to be known as someone who imitates Christ. And so when I look at Jesus, how he interacted with this world, there were times where he just mourned over them because of their propensity and proclivity to sin and go away from God. Does it bother you? 
that millions of people today live with no thought at all of your God, their creator. He deserves better than that. God deserves for the world to worship Him. God deserves for the world to honor Him. And yet, every day we see hundreds, millions of people that just ignore Him, blaspheme Him, and, and, and criticize Him, and blame Him, and malign His name. Every This is why David, when he went to go fight the giant, he was so ticked off because the giant was making fun of his God. Where do we get that righteous indignation? This is what Jesus is saying. Those who mourn, those who have a right understanding of righteousness, those who have a right understanding of sin, and of saying that this is not acceptable. The world needs to follow God because God deserves better. You know, new parents want everyone to see their new baby and be amazed at it. In all transparency here, I used to think that babies were ugly. All of them. This was before I had children. And so I would go and visit people in the hospital and they would show me their baby. And I would say, how beautiful. And then confess my sin later. (laughs) So if anyone from a previous ministry ever listens to the sermon later on, I'm sorry. (laughs) I, I, I used to think that, you know, what, what's the big deal? People, you know, it just lays there and poops and cries and cries. <laughs> I used to think, what's the big deal? You know, then, then, then I'll never forget when, when Mia was born and Mia cried. But guess who else cried? dad i was just and i wanted people to say oh look, look here's my daughter i remember i remember i remember feeling almost frustrated almost there's there, it, was, it was like i was so joyful but but i remember there's there's almost a frustration in my soul because i i couldn't I, I couldn't convey what I was feeling and the joy and how proud i was of that chubby cheeked little girl I mean, she, she had the biggest cheeks. It was like, you know, storing nuts for winter. I mean, this thing, she was huge. And I loved it. You know, I, I lovingly referred to her as Alfred Hitchcock, you know, because, you know, he had big cheeks. And, 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 and uh, I wanted everyone to, but I remember feeling a little frustrated because I couldn't convey my, my joy. You know, this picture, this dad here taking a picture of the iPad, with his iPad of mom and baby, just so happy, so happy. No parent wants to be ignored when showing off a new baby. You know, at least I had that sense. As I didn't show up and, and they say, look at my baby. I didn't, at least I had the sense not to go, meh. <laughs> I've seen better. <laughs> no one wants that, right? Because they're so, they're so happy about what they have and, 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 they, and they want to show it off. Yeah, we should feel that way. Of God. We should feel, you know, could you imagine how someone would feel if I did do that? If if a mom said to me, Hey, here's here's my new my new child, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> wow. She'd be upset, and rightfully so. 
So when God look at, when, when people look at our God that way, when they when mankind ignores God, shouldn't that bother us? We should be constantly drawing people's attention to God because He deserves it. And it should grieve us when sin so binds up this world and so blinds this world that they ignore God. See, the problem is, is that we don't see sin as and its effects the way God sees it. Instead of mourning sin, we are too often entertained by it. Jesus here, he says, look, those who are my disciples, they're the ones who mourn sin and the sinfulness of this world because God deserves better. We so long for happiness and satisfaction that we laugh at what we should mourn sometimes. The sinfulness of this world. There's so many things that is so contrary to God and yet Christians laugh at it. And Jesus says, no, a disciple of mine mourns this. He says, this is not good. We are to mourn our sinful world because God deserves better, but we're also to mourn our sinful world because people's souls are worth mourning. I think of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. He said this, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. People's souls are worth mourning here because he says, blessed are those who mourn because they have a right understanding of sin and its consequences and its effects. And so I pity the person who does not weep for people's souls. Uh, In all transparency, just to try to give some very practical application, this is one of the reasons why I was very uneasy with many Christians' responses to the situation with ISIS and even with the movie American Sniper. And again, you know, that's fine, whatever the movie is about. I mean, this is not about whether or not the military should do what they're doing. This is not about that. But here's what it is about. When I see people posting videos of ISIS getting bombed and putting comments saying, this warms my heart or this makes my heart glad, it breaks my heart. And when I see people talking about People being killed and rejoicing over it. And again, this is not about whether or not our military should, should exercise force, because they should. But the point is, is that we should do it with tears. Because here's the reason. That video that made people's heart glad when they saw all those people bombed and destroyed, those people in that video entered into eternity, most likely without Jesus Christ. Why should that make our hearts glad? We should mourn that. Again, this isn't about whether or not we should be in wars and things like that. That's not what this is about. It's about how do we respond when we're there. You know, according to one website, 55.3 million people die each year. 151,600 people die every day. 6,316 people die every hour. So that means almost two people leave this earth every second. How many of them know Christ? You see, when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, He's not talking about us having this negative disposition and moping around life. He's saying that we have to have a serious understanding of sin and its consequences. And there's another two. And there's another two. And there's another two. How many of them are in eternity with Jesus and how many are not? 
There's only two options. The Bible's very clear. You're either in heaven with Jesus or you're in eternal flames forever. We've got to mourn this. A disciple of Christ looks at this and says that there are people who are worth our tears. Of those people, how many are still in the grips of sin when they perish? How many will have to bear the weight of their sin alone when they stand before a righteous judge? Far too many. Far too many. According to Ezekiel 33, verse 11, God takes no joy in the death of the wicked. And neither should we. And so we should, we, we should, we should be bothered when people die and they don't know Christ. It should cause us to weep. When was the last time you wept over someone's soul? When was the last time you begged God and said, God, they need you? When was the last time we mourned the effects of sin in this world? You see, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying these are people who understand sin. They understand their spiritual condition. Let me ask you this. If you leave your cell phone at home by accident, how goes your day? If you were to lose your phone, would you search for it? Would you look for it? Would you reach for it about five times to text someone, where's my phone? <laughs> if you lose something like that, it's like we're so tied to it. And, and again, and I am too. And if I, if I leave the house and I don't have my phone, man, I, I feel like, you know, wow, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with life. You know, so tied to it. But when we find it, when we get it back, would you be relieved? Of course. Would we be happy? Of course. Is your world set back in orbit? Yes. But why is it that we are so concerned about a lost phone and not lost souls? I mean, I say this to me. I tell you, I preach messages that I need, okay? So this is not coming from someone who, who's got this. I, when I study these messages... You know, sometimes I think, God, you really want me to say this stuff because I, I, I got so, so much to grow in this. So I get it. My, my goal isn't, isn't to make everyone feel guilty. It really isn't. But it's to make us to, 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 to snap out of, of, of life, of how we perceive it, and, and look at reality sometimes. We need to be mournful over people's souls. God calls those who mourn sin blessed because they will have a right perspective about this world, that they, they're not following Christ and that there are people who are leaving this world, far too many, without a knowledge of God. But in a few minutes, we'll see that he does give comfort. too. But before we move to the comfort part, there's another aspect of mourning that I'd like us to consider. Not only are we to mourn our sinful world, but we're to mourn our sinful souls. It's because we know better. God's law has been stamped on our hearts. This is the reason why we have a conscience, and yet we sin. We willfully do what we know that is wrong. 
I mean, how many times has this happened where, where you're in a disagreement and then this has happened with me? And, and, and I remember, I remember some times where, where maybe Anuk and I were, were having a discussion or, 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 or maybe me and my brother or someone and we're, and we're having this discussion. And, and, and all of a sudden it's like, man, I want to say this thing and I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. I, it's, it's a real good zinger. It's going to just really score me points here in this argument. And, but it's not loving. It's not kind. It's just going to throw gas on the fire. I know it. I know that's what's going to happen. And yet, this whole time, so I'm thinking, okay, don't say it. Okay, don't say it. My mind's saying, shut up, shut up. Don't say it, don't say it. And so pretty soon what happens, next thing I know, boom, it's coming out of my mouth. It's like, bam, scoring the points for the argument. And did it help at all? It didn't help at all. I knew that it wouldn't help. I knew that it would cause the, it would it would it would take the conversation in a in a in a wrong direction. And yet I did it anyway. I knew it. It, it wasn't like that. Like I said something, and then it's like, oh, I didn't know it would do that. I knew what it was going to happen. I'm not the only one here, so don't look too angelic there. Okay, we all do this. We all do things that we know is wrong. We do it anyway. This should cause us to mourn. Because God's law has been stamped in our heart. We, we know better. And more than the law being stamped in our heart even, we have the revealed Word of God right here. And many of us have, have much of it memorized. Several of you have grown up in the church. And, and even if you haven't grown up in the church, you've grown up into a, in a culture where the Bible's been so accessible and, and there are certain themes of the Bible that are just part of everyday life. Many of us have it memorized, like I said. We know what the Word says about covetousness, about laziness, about gluttony, about blasphemy. Yet we long for what others have, look for ways to avoid work, and type OMG in Facebook posts and text. We know, and yet we sin. Again, the problem is because we do not see sin the way God sees it. If I was going to give you some homework assignment, I would say this. Pray that God helps you see sin the way he sees it. Ask God to say, God, give me a, a, a view of sin that you have because I'm blinded towards it. Our Ken Hughes says, no one is truly a Christian who has not mourned over his or her sins. You cannot be forgiven if you are not sorry for your sins. This is what he's saying there. Blessed are those who mourn, that they understand what their sin actually is and what it has done and the effects of sin and what it is doing in this world. It's very interesting. Martin Luther, his 95 theses that he nailed in Wittenberg's door, the church door there, which sparked the, um, uh, the Protestant Reformation, the very first thesis of the 95, says this, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. This is not something that we, we just do once. It's, it's a, we mourn our sin because we know better and we sin against God and we mourn that and we say, God, I'm sorry, and we are moved by it. And so we need to understand that what we're talking about here is that we're mourning sin in our sinful disposition. We're not just mourning the consequences of sin. 
This means that when we sin, we confess it right away. And we say, God, I'm sorry, and please forgive me. Even if no one else knows about the sin, or there is no apparent consequences for that, that particular sin. Now, I say apparent consequences because there are always consequences. We just don't always see them. And so, so what, 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 this is what he's saying to those who are mourned are the ones that it, they don't necessarily have to have someone point the finger at them and say, hey, you sinned there. They know that they sinned and they run to God and say, God, I am sorry. That's blessed are those who mourn. You know, David Brainerd was a missionary in the Americas here in North America. He was born in Connecticut, early 1700s. And... Uh, Wanted to uh, be a pastor. That didn't work out through various means and things like that. So ended up, he would travel on horseback and uh, take the gospel to the, the Native Americans uh, here in the New York region. He died young of tuberculosis. He, had a, uh, he ended up, at the end of his life, he actually uh, ended up living with Jonathan Edwards uh, in Northampton, who... Um, then was so moved by Brainerd and his devotion to God, uh, put aside uh, a, a project he was working on, which ended up being one of the best bestseller books that, that Edwards wrote. Uh, he put that project aside so he could write the memoirs of David Brainerd. And he, he borrowed heavily from uh, David Brainerd's diary. And uh, he was so impacted by David Brainerd. But you know, David Brainerd, he did not have an easy ministry. He, he was on horseback, I mean, riding some 3,000 miles. And just, it was, it, was, um, it, was, it was a servant who was devoted to Jesus Christ, but he died young of tuberculosis. This is what he said in one of his journals. It was October 18, 1740. He says, In my morning devotions, my soul was exceedingly melted and bitterly mourned over my exceeding sinfulness and vileness. This is a man who is committed to Jesus, yet he understood his sinfulness. And God would continue to break him of that. And it wasn't so that God would, would just kind of make him miserable or anything like that. That's not the point. We're going to see the point in a few minutes here. But... This is a man who understood what it means to mourn. You know, in Luke chapter 7, we, we see a woman who comes into to the, to the, the room where Jesus is, and, and, and he's, he's there having a meal. And this woman, what does she do? She goes to him, and she's crying, and she's weeping, and she, she breaks perfume over him. She starts wiping her, 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 uh, Jesus' feet and washing his feet with her, with her hair and this ointment, and, and she's weeping over her sinfulness. I mean, this was a lady. Everyone understood that this was a prostitute here. This is, this is not just some random lady. Coming in, this was a lady who understood sinfulness, and she was doing this, and, and, and she was so broken by it that she comes to Jesus and she says, and, and just and we don't even really know what she was saying necessarily, but by her actions we know what she was saying. And the people, the religious people in the room, didn't get it. They thought that you know, Jesus should have kicked her out, and Jesus used that illustration to teach her, teach them. That's mourning our sinfulness. It's like the son in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. He leaves and he, he goes and tells his dad. He says, he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Now, you've got to understand, in that context, that was basically him saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, you're more valuable to me dead than alive. 
And so he says, give me your inheritance. And so the father with tears gives him the inheritance. And the guy goes away. The son, this younger son goes away and he wastes all this money. He's got all these friends and having all these parties and everything. Then when the money dries up, they're all gone and he's all by himself. And so he literally takes a job feeding pigs. And he's so hungry. He's so poor. He's so destitute that he's looking at the pig food going, maybe I should eat some of this. And then the Bible says, and when he came to himself, he says, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise. I will go to my father. And I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And I am no more worthy to be called one of your sons. Make me as a servant. And he rehearses the speech and he goes back and his father sees him. They run and they meet and, and he restores him. He throws a party for him. But that son knew. He got to the point where he knew his sinfulness and he mourned it. It's like the tax collector in Luke chapter 18 when the Pharisee's pre, uh, praying there and he's saying, I'm so thankful, God. I'm so thankful that you've made me this and I am not like this one over here. And this tax collector who was considered an enemy, a traitor of the Jewish people, people hated them because of their, their, their business practices that were swindling people and they were, they were, they were traitor to their people. And, and this is that he was overcome by his sinfulness and he couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. And he says, Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, that one went away justified because he mourned his sin. He understood it. It's like the 3,000 at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we read about Peter preaching this great message. And 3,000 people, the Bible says, they were cut to the heart. They mourned sinfulness. So, they mourned it because they saw sin the way God sees it. Do you see sin the way God sees it? David did, Matthew, excuse me, in Psalm 51, verse 17, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David understood that. We see earlier in the Psalms, David says, I've watered my couch all night with my tears. He understood what it meant to mourn. When was the last time we wept over our sinfulness? We said, God, you deserve better than this. God, I know better. And I'm sorry. Not, man, the consequences of this are bad. Not, oh, man, I really blew it, and this time she's going to be angry. No. God, I sinned against you. Forgive me. See, that's a disciple of Christ. A disciple of Christ isn't a perfect person. That's what's implicit in this. That there's not a perfect disciple of Christ. But it's one who sees sin the way God sees it. That's who Jesus says, they're my family. They're my family. Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Paul, he got this. He says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Then he says this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He considered himself wretched. I mean, this is Paul. He wrote a, a, a good chunk of the New Testament. He says, I'm wretched because of my sin. You see, some people say, well, man, what about grace in this? You know, are you advocating just us wallowing in our sinfulness? No, we're going to get to that in a minute. But in order for us to understand grace, we have to understand sin. 
Knowing God's grace and forgiveness should not make sin easier to stomach. Rather, it should make sin that much more revolting to us. So we mourn our sins because we know better. We we more because we know better, and also because Jesus deserves better. He deserves better. Jesus died to free you from sin, and yet we go back. The Old Testament book of Proverbs gives a graphic picture of this. We're like dogs returning to vomit and consuming it again when we go back to sin. This is why Paul wrote so incredulously in Galatians chapter 1. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is anyone, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He says, why are you going back? Well, why are you going back? Jesus deserves better. Blessed are those who mourn. Really what's at stake here is us taking sin seriously. And so those who mourn take sin seriously. And again, people say, man, Jeremy, this is a depressing sermon. First of all, we lose an hour of sleep. Then you preach a message like this. What's going on with you? You know, the reality is that we will never understand Jesus' amazing grace until we truly mourn our sin. That's why this is so important. If you want to know grace, if you want to worship Jesus, you want to worship Him rightly, you want to give Him praise and honor, you want to understand this, what we sing, amazing grace, you want, to, you want to really get that, then we need to mourn our sin. Because we don't. We don't get it if we don't mourn our sin. So, first point, which is the bulk of the message this morning, was God's kingdom is comprised of mourners. Secondly, in a couple minutes left, is this. God's kingdom is comprised of comforted mourners. Comforted mourners. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God will provide ultimate comfort one day. Remember, this verse is part of a section that is describing who is in the kingdom of God. And so one day we will have this ultimate comfort. We will no longer be trapped in this sinful world. And so we, we can be here. It's much like you know, Psalm 126, verses 4 through 6 says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Whatever sheaves are, it's good. I always think of Little House on the Prairie. That was the only song they ever sang in church, bringing in the sheaves. Those who go out in tears will come back rejoicing. We had that promise. It's like Lazarus, another Lazarus. Um, in uh, Luke 16, he was a poor man. And we had the, the rich man. And there's a story that Jesus told that the Lazarus, in this case, another man by the name of Lazarus, different than the earlier one, he's a beggar and, and he doesn't have anything. And one day they both died. This rich man dies and Lazarus dies. And, and, and the rich man, because he trusted in his wealth and, and he didn't trust in God at all, goes into torments, the Bible says. But Lazarus, apparently he was a spiritual man, and he goes to heaven. Bible says. Abraham's bosom, paradise. Now it's interesting how that he's described there. It says in Luke chapter 16, verse 25, it says, Lazarus is now comforted here. He received comfort. One day we will be comforted from all the effects of sin that we deal with. Revelation 21, 4, Jesus says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning. The word of the day here. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is what we're looking for. And so a disciple of Christ, one who's an heir to the kingdom here, who's part of the kingdom, is said, I will get there one day. That's good, but what about today? And so God provides comfort for us while we wait for that day. In this text here, it says, they shall be comforted. The way it's written is the idea that God is going to do this. And remember, we talked about this, this approving smile with blessed. And so God's smile is, is, is on the one who mourns sin because only they will experience true comfort. A Netflix binge, a bottle, pills, sleep, or even a nice long vacation will not give you the comfort that lasts. Only Christ gives you comfort that lasts. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 2 Corinthians 1 says that we receive comfort in this world. Being changed by the gospel message will bring comfort today and for all eternity. And part of the way that God does this is through His Spirit. Four times the Apostle John in his gospel calls God's Spirit the Comforter. Jesus said that one of the reasons why he had to leave this earth was so that God's Spirit, the Helper, the Comforter, would, would have a worldwide ministry in the hearts of those who follow Jesus Christ. So they will be comforted in this world. The idea of the word comforter has the idea of one who runs alongside. He comes alongside to help you out in that moment. And that's what Jesus says his spirit's like. He says, and he will come alongside you, you to, to my disciples and will comfort them. One of the ways that God has given us to experience that comfort today is right here in this table. The Lord's Supper. At the table, we're reminded of God's love and Jesus' sacrifice and the forgiveness of sin that is available. That's why we celebrate this. Jesus says to do it. And the point of it is, is so that we can be reminded, we can see with our eyes, we can taste with our tongues, we can feel with our hands what is representative of Jesus' forgiveness. I tell you, I find comfort at the table. I, I, I'm reminded of my sinfulness, of how I failed, and things like this. And I come and I look at the table, and I think, but he died for me. I can be comforted. I can mourn my sin, but I can look there and say, but Jesus has conquered sin. And Jesus brings me comfort. See, Jesus makes comfort possible. What Jesus says at this table is He says, come eat at my table. Follow me and I will do more than just make sure you don't go to hell. I'll make you part of my family. Hey, I'll even share my father's inheritance with you. That's what Jesus says. That's comforting to my soul. Earlier I showed you Paul's words from Romans. He says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of the sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He was mourning his sin. Now let me show you the next verse. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He answers his question. You see, this is where we find comfort. We mourn our sin, not so that we wallow in depression and we beat ourselves up with how bad we are. That's not the point of this. What he's saying is he's saying we need to have a serious understanding of sin so we can have a proper understanding of grace and so that we can worship Jesus rightly. 
That's why we mourn our sin. So here's what we need to do. I think we just need to spend time praying. So if I was going to give you homework, I would say go home and pray. Go home and pray. How, how, would, how, would, how would I advise you to pray? These are some things that I would, I would advise you to say is, help me to be aware of my sin. Help me to be aware of it. Help me to be bothered by sin. I think we need to ask ourselves if we are entertained by things that we should actually be mourning. And then lastly, help me cling to your forgiveness, God. So let, let's let today's celebration of the table remind us of God's forgiveness. You see, that's what this table is about. This table here that we're going to transi- transition into right now, is, it's all about, about remembering what, what Jesus has done for us. And, and who, who, who is invited to participate? Well, it's a disciple of Christ, those who call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ and would say, yes, I am someone who have asked Jesus to save me and, and I'm, be, I'm to the best of my ability seeking to be obedient in my walk with Christ. I've been publicly identified with Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. That's who this table is for. It's not for perfect people. We've just shown you for the last 40 minutes or however long it's been that we are not perfect and we need to mourn sin. So this isn't for people who've got it all together. No, no. This is for people, for people who need to be reminded of Jesus' forgiveness. Say, I, I fall short, but I need to be reminded that He died. I'm going to break the bread here in a minute. Let that symbolize the body that was broken. There's these cups here, little individual cups of juice here are symbolic of the the blood that was shed. And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to uh, we're going to pray here in a second then we'll stand and mu- the music team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in some songs. And then I'm going to invite when we start singing that's your cue to come up to the table and grab a piece of bread, grab some juice, head back to your seat. And then we'll eat and drink together when the singing's done. And if, if you have a hard time coming forward, you know, mobility issues, whatever, you know, we get that and we'll have someone take a tray and, you know, and, and look through whoever needs to be served and we'll, we'll be happy to do that for you. The point is, is Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you mourn your sin? Do you mourn the sins of this world? You need to think about that. But this is part of the comfort that he says. This is it right here. So let's pray and ask God's blessing on this, and then we'll stand. Uh, Actually, why don't you stand now, and then we'll pray. Father, I want to say thank you for this opportunity to follow you and what you've said to do with this Lord's Supper celebration. And I pray that we would mourn sin. I pray that we would not take sin lightly. Father, I, I, I know I do. And I confess that to you. And I just pray that we would be a church that, um, that is bothered by sin for the right reasons. And yet we cling to the comfort that you give. So thank you for this reminder that we have of your comfort. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.